Father in heaven, as we come to study the next chapter of Daniel, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds. Father, I pray that you bless us with wisdom and understanding and help us to understand this story, Lord, and how it's relevant to us today in our lives. May you send the Holy Spirit to teach us and guide us is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be looking at Daniel chapter 3 today. Daniel chapter 3. Now, this chapter may be familiar to most of you, but we're going to go through it because we're going through the whole book of Daniel. On top of that, I pray that you may learn some new things that you might not have seen before in this chapter. This chapter is actually a very important chapter and relevant chapter to our time and the time period that we're going to be living in the future. Um, As I told you before, Daniel is made up of six stories and six prophecies, and some are intermingled in between. But the stories really give us the flesh of the prophecy in terms of how it's going to happen and helps us to understand things that the prophecy itself does not tell us. Now in Daniel chapter 3, we've already, it's chronological in the time period of what's happened after Daniel chapter 2. Now what happened in Daniel chapter 2? The king had a dream and he dreamt of an image made of five different elements. And we see the stone coming to destroy it. And Daniel, of course, interprets it. And Daniel is is promoted. Now, in Daniel chapter 3, we see and we're given the understanding that it has to be chronological by what is set up. Found in verse 1. Let's read that. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold whose height was three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. So we see here that the king makes an image of gold. And we see in Daniel chapter 2, of course, there's an image, but this time the king makes an image all of gold. None of the elements that he saw in his image, in his dream, pardon me, in Daniel chapter 2, signifying that he really wants his kingdom to move on and not be conquered by any other kingdoms that come after it. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Nebuchadnezzar here is trying to give, per se, a false prophecy of what he wants to see in the future. Now he has already heard the interpretation of Daniel chapter 2. You have to understand this. And he gives glory to God because he realizes that whoever gives the dream, the interpretation is sure. It will definitely come to pass. So Nebuchadnezzar is trying to change the course of history. But notice this, it says that Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold. What we're seeing here is king, political, image of gold, religious. So what what can we expect in this chapter? Persecution. So we're seeing here a combination of church and state which results in persecution. But somehow we're also seeing that a political leader in the future will be responsible for setting up an image for setting up something religious. There's going to be a political figure behind it. Now, it says that this image was had its height three score cubits and the breadth thereof six cubits. Now, what is three score cubits? It's 60. One cubit, uh, one score is 20. So therefore, three score is three times 20 gives us 60 cubits. Now, so it's 60 cubits tall and how many cubits wide? Six. So the six, number six, comes out and it's brought out. And what we're seeing here is that six is man's number. How do we know this? Man was made on the sixth day. Goliath, the enemy of the Israelites, was six, six cubits tall. And let me give you the reference for that. It's found in First Samuel chapter 17 and verse 4. He was six cubits tall found in 1 Samuel 17, verse 4. And in Revelation, the number of man is 666. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 18. So we're seeing here that the number 6 relates to man. It's not set up by God. This image here in Daniel chapter 3 and verse 1, it is set up by man. And on top of that, it is contrary to God. Just as Goliath, who was six cubits tall, was against God's people. And the man in mentioned in Revelation 13 verse 18 is also against God's people. 
It's the number of a man, 666. <clears throat> now let's move on. Verse 2. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So what type of people does he gather? Princes, governors, judges, captains, treasurers, councils, sheriffs, and all the rulers of these provinces. Now what are we seeing here? He's gathering together what? All the political people. No religious people are found here at all. It's all political. All the people that are involved with running the kingdom. And he gathers them all together. Now come with me to Revelation chapter 17. I want to show you something. Another link that shows us and tells us that Daniel and Revelation are a companion book. Revelation chapter 17, and we've looked at this chapter already in relation to Daniel chapter 2 and the image and the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. But in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 2, this is what we read. Let's start with verse 1. And there came one of the angels which had the seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great hall that sitteth upon many waters. Verse 2 with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication. So we're seeing here even a political aspect is brought out in Revelation. All the kings of the earth. And we could apply it to that sense in uh, Daniel chapter 3, that it's all the kings of the earth. Why? Because Babylon ruled the then known world. And when they're bringing together all the political people, they're bringing together all the kings of the earth. Because at the end there, it says all the rulers of the provinces. So, in the same way that we're going to see in the future come out, Daniel chapter 3 portrays what's happening. All the rulers will come together to do what? To come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. But I want, to notice, I want you to notice in verse 2 when it says here, Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together. You see, just as Nebuchadnezzar wants to gather together, really God also wants to gather together His people. Come with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And verses 9 and 10. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 says, Having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He hath purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in Him. So just as Nebuchadnezzar wants to gather together all the political people, so does Christ. And what we're seeing here is a characteristic that a man is trying to take from Christ and make it his own. So Nebuchadnezzar wants to gather together as well. All the people in the world, just as Jesus Christ wants to. So what we're really seeing here is a counterfeit gathering or the counterfeit of the mystery of God, which is what Ephesians calls it, the mystery of God, to gather together one, all that are in earth and also in heaven, under Christ. <clears throat> Now let's move on, verse 3. Then the princes, the governors, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, why are the political leaders repeated again so fast? Verse 2 had already mentioned them. Really, all you have to just say is a brief description of them and move on. But why are they all mentioned again? Just for the sake of emphasis. Why? Because God wants to under, us to understand that emphasis is placed on what? The political leaders. The political leaders are coming, are being gathered together. The political leaders are all standing now before this image. They're standing, okay? Helping us to understand that the whole world at the end of time will be represented by political leaders. 
Will the whole world per se have to be there in this image? No. Before this image? No. But they will be represented by all the political leaders that will come. So the world is represented by all the political leaders to worship this image. Now note, the concept of the setting up of the image is repeated a lot as well. The image and it being set up. Okay, but let's move on. Verse 4. Then an herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages. So now all the political leaders are gathered before this image and a herald is cried out. Okay? A herald cried out, cried aloud. Now it's a loud proclamation. A proclamation of what? Let's read verse 5. That at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worship it, shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So what sort of call is cried out aloud? It's a call to what? Worship. Come with me to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. It's a, remember, this, this one that we find in Revelation, uh, Daniel chapter 3 is a loud proclamation to call everybody, what it says, to all people, nations, and languages to come to worship. Now, you come with me to Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 6, it says, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. It's going to the same sort of people, the whole world. But then it says in verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come, and what? Worship Him. So in the same way there's a loud cry in Revelation 14 to call everybody to come worship the true God who created heaven and earth and all the fountains of waters. In Daniel chapter 3, we're seeing also a loud cry, but it's calling everyone to worship what? A golden image. So we're seeing worship lined up here. Somehow, Daniel chapter 3 is related to worship. And it's not just to political leaders, it's going to the whole world. Why? It says, O people, nations, and languages. So the people that were gathered before this image is a representation of the whole world. In the last days, look out for a gathering of all the political leaders to come to worship. It might have happened already. Let's search history maybe. But there's going to come a time when all the political leaders will be gathered together to worship. And they are going to be represented, a, representa a representation of the whole world. Why? Because they're the ones that govern the law of their lands. But then it says, to you it is commanded. This is the decree, a law. A law related to what? Worship. Law, political, worship, religious. We're seeing religious and political come out again. But in verse 5, it says that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. So before we come to worship, what happens? Music. Music plays a very important role at the end of time especially before everybody is to bow down to worship the image. And I'm not saying to worship God. I'm saying to worship the false God. Worship or music, pardon me, is going to play a very important role. And it would do us well to understand the role of music, not just prophetically, but in our lives. What sort of music we should be listening to? Obviously, there's going to be some sort of music that will be played that will cause everybody to fall down and worship. And we ought not to be listening to that music because the natural result is going to be worship the false God. But in Revelation chapter 13, come with me there. Revelation chapter 13. Now, for those that have studied Revelation 13, you may be asking, where is music mentioned? It's not. In fact, <laughs> music in relation to worship is only really mentioned in Daniel. And of course, the sanctuary services when the Israelites had their sanctuary service. 
But if you're coming to Revelation 13, and we're starting with verse 13. Revelation 13, 13. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Verse 14, And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Verse 15, And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not what? Worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now what comes before the worship and the death decree? In Revelation 13, what comes before it? Miracles. Miracles come before worship, and then if you don't worship, you're going to be killed. Now, what sort of miracle was this? We saw in verse 13, fire coming down from heaven. So, what we're seeing here is that fire comes down from heaven and it deceives them that dwell on the earth, and they make up an image, and this image speaks and says, if you do not, do not worship, you're going to be killed. Now, in the same way we see in Daniel, music is played, and when you, you hear the music, you bow down and worship, but if you don't worship, what's going to happen? You're going to be thrown into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. So somehow, music is related to fire coming down. Now, where in the Bible do you see fire coming down? Elijah. Elijah. On where? Mount Carmel. Now, what was the purpose of the fire coming down on Mount Carmel? That God was the true God. The fire coming down was to show that whichever God answers by fire, that is the true God. Where else do we see fire coming down? Dedicated the temple, yes. Cain and Abel. That's the other example that I was actually looking for. Bible doesn't actually mention it, but Spirit of Prophecy does. That the fire coming down in the, um, the, the story between Cain and Abel was to show the acceptance of worship. The acceptance of worship. So here in Mount Carmel, we're seeing who is the true God, the God that answers by fire. And the God that answers by fire between Cain and Abel is accepting their sacrifice, their worship. So somehow, in Revelation 13, when the fire comes down, people are saying, God is accepting our worship and He is a true God. What sort of worship is He accepting? It's related to music. And music is an essential part of worship. When we come to the house of God, there's no way that we can't have music. It's not the same. Whether it's just singing or whether there's instrumental or both, music plays a very essential role in worship. And rightly so. But here we see that music is played just before people are asked to worship the false god. Now, let's go back to Daniel 3, and I want to show you this. We read verse 5 already, but let's go there. Daniel chapter 3, we've looked at verse 5 where it mentions all the music. Now, come with me to verse 7. Daniel 3, verse 7. Therefore, at the time when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flutes, harps, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, mentioned again, let's read verse 10. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man... That shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, mentioned again. And once more in verse 15. Now if ye be ready that at the time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music. So four verses, at the least, are used to describe the use of music before you come and worship this golden image. And if you don't worship the golden image, you're going to be what? thrown into the fiery furnace. Emphasis, four times the music is mentioned. We need to pay proper attention to this understanding of music. Now, we don't have the time to go through music at the moment, but I just want to make this statement that music will have a lot to do with receiving the mark of the beast at the end of time. Music will have a lot to do with receiving the mark of the beast, which is found in Revelation 13 at the end of time. Now let me read you this quote from Last Day Events, page 159. Last Day Events, 
page 159. The things you have described as taking place in Indiana. Now, we have here in parenthesis, these comments were made in connection with the Holy Flesh Movement at the Indiana Camp Meeting of 1890, over 100 years ago. For further details, see Selected Messages, Book 2, pages 31 to 39. So I suggest you go back and read this section, okay? Selected Messages, Book 2, so second volume of Selected Messages, pages 31 to 39. And you'll understand the context of what's taking place here in Indiana. One of the people that attended there wrote Ellen, uh, wrote, um, Ellen White and described to her the events that were taking place at this camp meeting. And so she responds, The things you have described as taking place in Indiana, the Lord has shown me would take place just before the close of probation. It would do us very well to go back and look at those references. Every uncouth thing will be demonstrated. There will be shouting with drums, music, and dancing. The senses of rational beings will become so confused that they cannot be trusted to make right decisions. Then it says, a bedlam of noise shocks the senses and perverts that which if conducted aright might be a blessing. The powers of satanic agencies blend with the din and noise to have a carnival, and this is termed the Holy Spirit's working. Those things which have been in the past will be in the future. Satan will make music a snare by the way in which it is conducted. We have to understand the power of music. This is why we need to take heed of the things that we listen to, especially music. Why? Because that will set up in your heart the right to receive the mark of the beast. Possibly. Just by the things you listen to. But we'll leave that for another time and another place. But just keep in mind, music is very important in the life and the role of everybody. Now, what is the meaning of Babylon again? Do you remember? Confusion. Do you see how it lines up with that quote that we just read, Bedlam of Noise? So somehow Babylon and confusion, its state of confusion, is related also to music too. Just keep that in mind. So there is the decree mixed with the religious sentiment. Worship or else you what? Die. How is that so? Because a law, a commandment to all people, nations, and languages, tongues, is issued out. So we're seeing here clearly from the book of Daniel itself, now it's not so much a presupposition anymore. It's not just a, um, we're not just assuming anymore. Now it's clear. When you mix political with religious, you're getting persecution. Let's move on. Verse 7. Daniel chapter 3 and verse 7. Therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Verse 8. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They accused who? The Jews. And it's very interesting. If you come with me to Revelation, chapter 12. Revelation, chapter 12. When we look at this accusation of Jew, uh, accusing the Jews, we find in Revelation, chapter 12, and verse 10, who is the instigator behind it all? Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, the Bible says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Who is this accuser of the brethren? It is Satan, the devil. So really, when these people came to accuse the Jews, who was really working behind them? It was Satan. And we find this in Jude 1 and verse 9 as well, where Satan came to accuse God. He says, why are, you allowed to, why are you taking Moses to heaven? So God said, the Lord rebuked thee. But we're seeing here the accuser of the brethren working, especially at the time when this law will be instituted to worship. 
Now let's move on. Verse 9. Now, you, I want to notice, <laughs> I want to draw your attention to something. In verse 8, it says that who accused them? Who actually accused these Jews? Chaldeans. The Chaldeans. Now, where did we see them before? Daniel 2. Remember, they were part of the what? Wise men. But who was responsible for saving their lives? Daniel. It's very interesting. Your friends in the future may come and turn around and bite you on the back one day. But hey, we don't do it for their favors. We, we don't make friends of political leaders just so that we can be safe in the future. That does not guarantee anything. The only guarantee we have is in God. But the reason why we ought to be friends with them is not because of any advantage that we want, because that's what Christ would do as well. But verse 9. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. There we go. Nebuchadnezzar, the Chaldeans, they address them in the same way as they did in chapter 2. And it seems to me that this king really likes to be flattered. Friends, we've got to be really careful of flattery especially those that are trained to be ministers or that are. Flattery is the minister's worst enemy. Don't ever flatter a minister. You're doing the devil's job. That's what we're told in Spirit of Prophecy. Why? Because their pride is raised. And of course, the Chaldeans understood that. What do they do? Flatter the king. Verse 10, Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, Harp, sackbut, sultry, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth that, he should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. The decree is repeated again. Verse 12. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. You see that? There are certain Jews whom thou, king, this has become your problem now, because why? You put them into office. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Why? They're making it a political insult here. Personal insult even. King, you put them in, and you know what? They're not regarding you. Personal insult. And... How did the king respond? Verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Coming to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. What happened when Nebuchadnezzar was told that these men did not regard him? He went into rage and fury just because they wanted to obey God. Now look at Revelation chapter 12 and verse 17. It says, The dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. For the sake of obedience in the last days, we're going to be persecuted. And the people that persecute us will think it's a personal insult to them because we want to obey God. And on top of that, could I say they all have a hot temper? If we have not learned to control our tempers in these days, we may be just be part of that group of people. It's important that we learn patience and learn to have our tempers under control. Let's go back to Daniel 3. So Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commands that these three Hebrew boys are brought before the king. And verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar says, speaks unto them and says, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Is it true that what they're telling me is true? Why? Why would Nebuchadnezzar be asking this? Because in his own right mind, yes, he's angry, but at the same time, he, set the, he put them in that position of rulership. But on top of that, he was what? They were what? Ten times smarter than everybody else. Now, even if you were a pagan king and you're seeing these people disobeying you, you wouldn't want to destroy one of your most valuable assets, most valuable counselors. So he pleads with them, is it true? And he repeats, verse 15, Now if you be ready at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, 
flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Now note this, and who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Did Nebuchadnezzar know that God? Sure did. How did he know him? Chapter 2. He praised the God of Daniel. He knew all about him. It was the same God that gave him the interpretation and also the dream. But now it's the same God that he's saying, who is that God? Who is that God? Challenging the God of heaven. But note, musical instruments are mentioned again. So we're seeing a king that knows about a god, but yet claims that he doesn't. Claims what? Atheism. Let's move on. Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, how old was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were taken to Babylon? They were probably all about the same age since we know the age of Daniel. So they were probably about 15, and after three years of education, and then Daniel 2, they were age 18 when all this happened, and they were all exalted. At least Daniel was, and his three friends were exalted to a point where they were part of the political entity of Babylon, or else they would not have been called to this worship of the image. So they were involved in the affairs, political affairs of the kingdom of Babylon at this time. Now, some say it happened immediately after. Some say it took two or three years. But at least the oldest these three boys would have been is the age of 21. They weren't that old. I want you to understand that. And notice with the wisdom that how they answer the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, verse 16, answered, and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. What does it mean by this? We are not careful. On one hand, they say, we don't know how to say it. But at the same time, they have to speak the truth. We're not careful. So king, we're going to tell you as it is. This is the reason why we're not bowing down. They're not careful, in a sense, to answer the king and say, Oh, king, live forever, or whatever they may say. But they just address him and says, This is the reason why. Now, come with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. Why should we not be careful in the sense that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not careful to answer the king. Matthew chapter 10, and we're looking at verse 18, verses 18 to 20. Starting with verse 18. Speaking of the last days, it says, And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. So when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were brought before Nebuchadnezzar, what was it a testimony for? Against the king first. Why? Because he said, who is that God that should deliver you out of my hands? And of course, for the Gentiles, for those that didn't know about God. Verse 19 of Matthew 10. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak. How you shall speak it or what? Take no thought. For it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not that ye speak but the Spirit of the Father which speaketh in you. So the Holy Spirit will speak through us. So in that sense, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not careful to answer the king in that matter. Why? Because as it says in Matthew, of course, Matthew was written after, but the principle is still there. They took no thought. Why? Because the words were given to them. Had they probably already prepared their answer before? Yes, they had to. Because they realized the decree was coming. They realized that those who did not bow down would be cast into the fiery furnace. So before they even reached that point of answering to the king, they had to make the decision in their mind not to bow down. 
So their mind and their decision and the words that they were going to say were already made up. Verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve, why say if it? Because they had to rebuttal against what Nebuchadnezzar said. Who is your God that will deliver you out of my hands? If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, then he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. So they're saying, yeah, God it can, and he, it is possible that he will. But verse 18, but if not, you see, let me finish this verse. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. You know, following God does not mean that he'll keep us from every trial and even death itself. There are going to be martyrs at the end of time. Martyrs who believe that if God wanted to, he will save them. But if not, they will serve God nonetheless. And we got to have that sort of attitude. Because some people say, well, why didn't God save me even though I was faithful to Him? <laughs> and in every right, God should have been faithful in our own human thinking, right? If we're faithful, God should be faithful back to us. But these Hebrew boys at the age of 21 understood that even if God was not going to deliver them out of the fiery furnace, they would still be faithful to Him. And we have to have that sort of attitude because in the last days, God will allow some of His saints to die so that others may come to know of the message of the gospel. And it may be us. We need to be like a Daniel and his three friends. That we need to understand that even if God does not deliver, we will still follow Him. They had faith, these three boys. Verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. Nebuchadnezzar was so angry, and we're seeing his temper come out again. Remember, I asked you to remember that from Daniel chapter 2. Remember, friends, the reason why I bring this out is because we need to have under control our own emotions and feelings or else we may just be part of this group that will come out in fury just because a certain group stands to be faithful to God. Faithfulness is not enough because faithfulness will also help us in our own character, in our lives. But it says that the form of his visage was changed. He was so angry that the form of his visage, the way he looked, changed. Have you come with me to Revelation 13? Notice we're going back to going to Revelation 13 a lot. This chapter lines up very closely with Daniel chapter 3. Revelation 13, verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. This beast that comes out looks like a lamb, but speaks like a, a dragon. The form of the visage is changed changed from what it ought to be, looks different. Why would this beast be different in a sense? Because there's a group of people that stand there to be faithful to God. That's just an application that we can make. But let's go back to Daniel 3 and move on. Verse 20. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. He commands what? Military power at his hands to act out his decree. So this leader at the head is religious, is able to institute religious laws, religious and political, and also has the backing of the military, the army behind him. And this is exactly what's going to happen in the last days. There's going to be a man at the head that is religious and political, and certainly we're living in that time we found in Daniel 2 because of the feet of iron and clay, coming together of religious and political. And there's going to be a falling away until this man of sin be revealed. And somehow this man of sin is related to the coming together of religious and political. But on top of that, this man of sin has at the command armies and military power. 
It has in it the strength of iron. But it says that these men, military men, army men, took them and threw them into the what? Burning fiery furnace. You know that word burning fiery furnace is actually mentioned eight times in Daniel chapter 3. Eight times is those words, burning fiery furnace, mentioned. And what is the significance? There is a burning fiery furnace in Revelation. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, and we're looking at verse 15. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 15. This is the description of Jesus Christ that John sees in prophetic vision. And his feet like unto fine brass as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as a sound of many waters. So Jesus Christ also went through a burning, fiery furnace. But we also will go through a similar experience. To be followers of Jesus is to follow in the same footsteps and the path that He trod. And we also will go through that same experience. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting with verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part He is evil spoken of, but on your part He is glorified. we got to rejoice if the same sufferings that we're going through is exactly what Christ went through. And we've got to expect that as Christ followers, we have to expect the same sort of sufferings. Trials, and it calls it a fiery trial. And you've come with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. It says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. So really what is being tried in this burning fiery furnace is our faith. Faith is not true faith until it is tried. God does not accept just a mere profession. Yes, who wants to be believe and follow God? That's not enough. <laughs> Where you are really tested is when the trials and temptations come. And so you got to rejoice because the minute you put up your hand, Satan's standing by your side and saying, see God, this person professes in you, professes to believe in you. And God, to a certain extent, is going to allow Satan to try you. Is God a God of love then? Yes, He still is. Is He fair? Certainly is. To profess the name of God is not enough. You've got to go through the trials that Jesus went through as well. And of course, if we go to James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, we know that the trying of a faith worketh what? Patience. And it's exactly what the saints have in the last days when they keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. They have patience. And why do we need patience? Because we're going through trials. Friends whom you have done a favor for may turn around and persecute you. Let's move on. Daniel chapter 3, we've already read, read verse 20. They're cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. And then verse 21 and 22. Then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen and their hats, and their old outer garments and their other garments and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This command and decree was so urgent, the king was so angry that he said, just throw them in. And the fire was so hot that it killed the military men that threw them in. Now notice that the decree was so urgent, and I want to hang on this word urgent. Understand that because in the days that we're living in, the decree is going to come urgently. In ninth volume of the Testimonies, 90, page 11. 90, page 11. 
It says great changes are soon to take place in our world and the final movement will be rapid ones. We think that when we see all these changes take place in the economy and the political structure, okay, time to get our lives ready. You know what? It's too late. Why? Because the final movement will be rapid ones. We're not going to be able to have time to think about what we ought to say, what we ought to do. By the time that, that time comes, it's too late. Why? Because a final succession of events that are going to take place are going to follow one another so fast that only those that have been studying prophecy and know what they believe in will stand firm amongst all the others. Everyone else is going to bow down and worship the image. So today, while we have the time to prepare and make in our minds whether we want to follow God, we've got to make sure that's firm in our mind. Today, if you're facing trials, praise God for it. Because God's preparing you to stand at the time when everyone else is going to be falling around you. Moving on, verse 23. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astonished and rose up in haste and said, and spake, and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Four men loose. When we go through the midst of the fiery furnace, Jesus will be right at our side. And only that, what, were, what was the thing that was burnt up? The ropes that bound their hands and their feet. The sin that was left around them, that people placed upon them. They were purified out of everything. But it said the fourth is like the Son of God. Now, how did Nebuchadnezzar know who the Son of God looked like? Had he seen the Son of God before? Yes or no? Had he seen it? Some are shaking their heads, some are nodding. In what way had Nebuchadnezzar seen God, the Son of God? In the dream? He didn't see God, he saw a golden image. A gold, I mean, not golden image, but gold, silver, brass, iron, iron, clay. He didn't see God. Daniel, through Daniel, so God talked about Daniel in that sense, but also through the character. How is God going to be able to be revealed in the last time? It's a revelation of His what? Character. Now, come with me to Revelation chapter 18. Actually, before, there, before we go there, let's just read one more verse to add on from Daniel chapter 3. And keep this in mind, how did Nebuchadnezzar know the Son of God? Through especially the character of the lives of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But verse 26, before we go to Revelation 18, verse 26, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth out of the midst of the fire. So they were thrown in, the ropes were burned, and a fourth was standing next to them that king announced, and then they came out. Now who was witnessing all this? all the political rulers of the provinces. So basically the whole what? The whole world. The whole world was witnessing this act, miraculous act. Now there were how many boys? Three. Does the number three strike a bell to you somehow? Three angels messages. Now watch this. Let me read one more verse before we go to Revelation 18, and this will finally make sense. I want you to read verse 28. We're going to go back to verse 27, but read verse 28. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his what? Angel. Who was this angel that he was referring to? Son of God. So Nebuchadnezzar called the Son of God an angel. Now come with me to Revelation chapter 18. 
Revelation chapter 18. Revelation chapter 18, starting with verse 1. In fact, we're just going to read verse 1. Revelation chapter 18 and verse 1. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. So we see another angel coming down in succession to the three angels that we already find coming down in Revelation 14 already. But this angel gives power to the three other angels. Why? Because it lightens the whole world with the glory of God. And what does that glory represent? If you go to Exodus chapter 33, verse 18 and 19, we understand that the glory of God is the character of God. So the character of God is revealed to the whole world only when the fourth angel comes down with great power and great glory. And if we go back to Daniel 3, the only time that the message went out was when that son of God was standing next to the three Hebrew boys. And the message went out to the whole world. Now I want you to notice, when does this message go to the whole world? When they stood up when everyone else was standing? No. When they were in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. The three angels' messages and its completion of the gospel to go, the, go to the whole world, found in Matthew 24, is going to be completed during the time of trouble. So if we want to stand faithful and we want to be part of 144,000, we need to go through the time of trouble. And how do I know that the 144,000, where is this concept brought in? You see, if you go back to verse 26 of Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 3 and verse 26, it says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth. They are called the servants of God. If you come with me to Revelation chapter 7, let's jump over there. How do we make this parallel between the servants of God and the 144,000 or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Revelation chapter 7, and starting with verse 3, we're going to read verses 3 and 4. It says, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And who are these servants of God that are sealed in their foreheads? Verse 4, And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand. So there you go. The servants of God are the 144,000. At the same time, they're represented by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who will go through the burning fiery furnace and not see death. So in a great degree, the 144,000 are responsible for giving the message to the whole world. So what sort of life should we be living? Lives of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. If we want to be part of the 144,000. So what is the three angels' messages represented of? Three Hebrew boys. The fourth angel, Jesus Christ, who comes down to give power to the three angels to lighten the whole world with the glory of God. But I'm not saying that only the 144,000 will give the message of the three angels. We are giving the message of the three angels in our time now. People in the past have given messages of the three angels too. But the 144,000 will be set apart from everyone else that they will not see death. They will go through the time of that fiery furnace, the time of trouble. They will go through persecution. Now let's go back to Daniel chapter 3 and verse 27. Daniel 3 and verse 27. And the princes, governors, and captains, and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men. So there you go. All the world looked upon these three men, upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was an hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. They didn't even look like they had been passed through any sort of fiery trial. They didn't even smell like it. Not even one hair of their head was singed. You know how, how, how hard that is? You don't even need to put your hair in fire for it to be singed. If you tried making campfires before, the smoke, as it passes on you, you just smell like smoke naturally after that. 
But these people didn't smell like smoke, their hair were not singed, neither were their coats changed at all. The only thing that was different was the ropes were gone. Now come with me to Psalms chapter 91. Psalms 91 closely relates to that time where we're going to go through, where we're going to go through a fiery furnace. But Psalms 91 is a chapter of promise, and I would almost entitle it a promise to the 144,000. So if you have time, just read through this chapter, you'll understand the reason why it's dedicated to the 144,000. But I just want to look at two verses, verses 11 and 12. Psalms 91, verses 11 and 12. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Not even our feet will be dashed against a stone. God will keep us in all our ways. If we, what? Do what is mentioned there in Psalms 91 and verse 1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We need to learn to abide in Jesus Christ. Only then can He fulfill the promise that He will not allow a foot, our foot to be dashed against a stone. So we can say that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego learned how to abide in Jesus Christ. And it didn't come when that image was set up. They were abiding in their lives constantly, daily. So when the time of trouble came, they were not careful to answer in the king's matter. Verse 28, Then Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel chapter 3, verse 28, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word, and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own God. So once again, we find at the end of another chapter, Nebuchadnezzar is praising the God of heaven, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Verse 29, Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. And you'd think that Nebuchadnezzar would have learned about making decrees that were religious, but he hadn't. But also in a similar way, typifying. You see, at this point, we realize that Jesus comes again after, the second, uh, after this time of trouble. But it doesn't in this sense, but yet the decree is made. It's also a symbol of God. Why? Because we understand that affliction shall not arise again the second time. In a sense, we understand that after this, no one speaks against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego anymore. No one speaks against the God of the Almighty after the second coming. So it's just a small application that we can look at here. But you would have thought that Nebuchadnezzar would have um, learnt from this, but he didn't. He still made another decree in relation to worship. That <laughs> ended up in another death decree. Verse 30, Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So we're beginning to see the relevance that stories have in relation to prophecy. Why? Because it helps us to understand the things that are going to come and how they're going to be portrayed. The main thing that we want to get out of this is the music. I want you to understand that because we know there's going to be a time of trouble that comes. But the thing that's going to deceive or make everyone bow down at the end of time is the music. I'm not saying that the music is a the theme of this chapter. No, it's not. But the most important thing I believe that we need to understand is music and its relation to prophecy, worship, and the last days. So, once again, that topic is for another time. But if we have the time, maybe we could cover that in the future. But what we're seeing here, really, three angels' messages and how they're going to go to the whole world. The glory of the fourth angel. The loud cry, the latter rain. The power of the Son of God coming down. All right, well, our time is up, so let us kneel for a word of prayer as we close this session. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Lord, once again, we're so thankful for prophecy, even if it's given through a story. 
Lord, help us to see the urgency of the time that we live in and how close we really are to the end of time. And help us, O Lord, as we see this, to order our lives according to the word and the belief that we have that, Lord, there's coming a time of trouble that no one has ever understood or even imagined before. Help us to be ready for that time, not just physically, mentally, but also spiritually as well, that we may be able to stand like the three Hebrew boys did in Daniel chapter 3. Bless us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.